you had to define what all in means to you, what would you say? Jenny Glass, our communications director, asked me that question on Tuesday of this week, and I said something about being fully present and responsive to God and to other people, and by extension, the world for whom Christ died, not overscheduled, not overwhelmed, not distracted on the one hand, or underinvested and isolated and a sideline person on the other side. But how do we get all in? Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 and then Jesus in Luke 2 gives us some examples to begin pondering about our fall series. First, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We hear this a lot at weddings. We usually read verse 1 through 7 and then verse 13, but let me read verse 8 through 12. Love never ends, Paul says, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. Doesn't Paul make growth sound easy? Once a child, then an adult, once into making disgusting noises with my armpits, and then all of a sudden, done with all that juvenile stuff. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Then this passage from Luke 2, where we get the only example of growth in Jesus' life when he was an adolescent. I was just going to read verse 52, but the story is too good. Let's start at verse 41. Now every year, his parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, can you imagine it? They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Or the Greek can be about my father's business. But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased, the Greek is advanced, made headway, progressed, matured in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Here ends our reading for today. God always blesses the reading and the hearing of God's word. Have you ever asked anyone after their summer vacation, how was your summer vacation? And here's the kind of response you get from them. Well, 
Our car broke down just outside of Waco. We had a serious bout of stomach flu that went through the entire car in Amarillo. In Colorado, our canoes tipped over and we lost most of our gear. And then in Canada, the bogs were just brutal. And you say to them, I'm so, so sorry for your terrible vacation. And they say, oh no, it was great. <laughs> we're going to do the exact same itinerary next year. We had so much fun. Well, Luke records a story about a trip that Jesus took with his family. And near the end of the story, the text says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. But let me tell you, she did not treasure them at first. The text says that every year, Joseph and Mary and Jesus would go down from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. This wasn't something they just did once. This is something they did every year. And let me give you some context. It was a requirement for every adult Jewish male within 15 miles of Jerusalem. It was a command for them to have to go to the Passover. But Nazareth is 80 miles away. Joseph wasn't required. Mary wasn't required. Jesus wasn't required. They just did it as part of their spiritual commitment and discipline to God. Sometime every adult Jew, male or female, back then and now, wants to get to Jerusalem, back then for the Passover, now to just be in the holy city at least once in their life and kind of near the wailing wall. When Jesus was 12, I mean, he'd been there every year. He was there when he was 11. He was there when he was 10 and on and on and on. But when he was 12, it was special because he was supposed to be bar mitzvah. Bar in Hebrew means son. Mitzvah means of the law. He's to become a son of the law. He's 12, but in Jewish understanding, he's to become a man. His parents had started the journey by baptizing him when he was eight Circumcision was the way they did that back then. But now, this is the time mom couldn't stand in for him and talk for him. Dad couldn't stand in and talk for him. This was up to Jesus to do or not to do. And so all the obligations, all the responsibilities that they started for him were now on him. And so he's the one who made the offering that went through the priests to God for his forgiveness of sins and to make a commitment, I will be a man of the law and a follower of Yahweh the rest of my life. It's a beautiful part of this story. And then they head home. Everything goes well until the first night when they set up camp. This is not unusual that in a caravan there might be a slower group that has the supplies that starts first and then a, a faster group that either walks or runs or on donkeys or on horses and they meet up in an agreed upon place at the end and they pitch their tents and Mary is looking for Jesus and Joseph and finds Joseph but not Jesus. Joseph is looking for Mary and Jesus finds Mary but not Jesus. Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary. Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph or friends or family. And it hits them. He's not here. And there's that knot that's growing in the pit of their stomach. They're sick. And they rush back toward Jerusalem, retracing their steps, just trying to find their 
their son. Have you ever had that feeling before that something precious is lost and you don't know where to find it? I've been in the mall watching a dad who was trying to corral a bunch of kids and one got away. And he didn't know where it was. And let me tell you, he gets serious very quickly. This summer on study leave and on vacation, Sherry and I passed through Springfield, Missouri to see family and friends. And then we went just over the border of Missouri to south central Iowa, Rathbun Lake, to meet three sets of my mom's side of the family for a reunion. And every time we get together, she reminds me there was a time when I got lost. I was four years old, and it was at my grandfather, her dad's cabin, tiny fishing cabin um, on the Mississippi River between Minnesota and Wisconsin, just below La Crosse, Wisconsin. In front of the cabin was the mighty Mississippi River, still is, about a half mile apart. The current is strong. It's a big river. Behind the the fishing cabin is is a gravel road that takes you back out of the place, but behind the gravel road is a swampy lagoon filled with water, and I was nowhere to be found. They were worried that I'd drown, four years old. And so they divide up, and they're panicked, and they're looking every different direction. Someone even gets on a boat to start trolling around the edge. Had I fallen in and and died, and they could find me stuck against some of the, the trees at the edge of the bank. About three-fourths of a mile down the gravel road was a campground, and in the campground was an ice cream station, and I just borrowed 25 cents from one of the dressers and, and had gone down to get some ice cream. Even back then, it was mint chocolate chip, and if you get two scoops, chocolate, and the combination, it doesn't get any better than that even today. I was just minding my business, waiting in line, enjoying the day, when I hear screaming, And I look down the road and there's someone that's small getting larger and it's my mother and and she's running and and when she sees that there's someone about my size, she picks up the pace and I didn't think my mother could run that fast. (laughs) And when she got close enough, I could see the wild eyes and I could see the tears in her eyes and she scooped me up quicker than I thought she could scoop me up and she pulled me toward her harder than I thought she could pull me toward her, and I was barely breathing. She was crying, and she was saying, thank God you're okay, thank God you're okay. And then she swift me, turned me over, and spanked me repeatedly. (laughs) As a four-year-old, you felt the love, and then you didn't feel the love anymore. Our text says that Mary and Joseph were searching for three days. Think about that. 24 hours passes, no sleep. They're frantic. 48 hours passes, they're more more frantic. 72 hours pass, and then they find Jesus in the temple, sitting among the teachers, asking questions, giving answers that are astounding people. I know Joseph and Mary had figured out the speech. They had it all planned out in their head, what they were going to say to put this boy back in his place. And then when they see him, All mom can get out is, child, why have you treated us like this? The proverbial parent question, where have you been? You could have died. Why didn't you call? You should have texted. 
Jesus seems to give the proverbial teenage answer. Why were you searching for me? Chill out, Mom. Everything's fine. There's no problem here. When I used to go out, my mom would say to me, if you're going to be out later than expected, call. And I'd say to her, I knew I could you know, kind of push it in and turn it just a little bit. Mom, no news is good news. No news is good news. That did not satisfy her need <laughs> to know. We think Jesus is just the typical teenager, but then he follows up the question by saying, didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? I mean, dad, Joseph is standing right there. Didn't you know I needed to be in Yahweh, my heavenly father's house? Didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business? I was not just going through the motions when I was bar mitzvahed. This was not just something I did to get done. This is something where I claimed to God and to you and everybody else that I was all in. And this is a, a greater accountability, greater responsibility now to the law and God. You understand that, don't you, mom and dad? And they must have. It must have flashed back to them. When Jesus was born, the angels coming must have flashed back to them. In that same temple, when he was eight days old, that Simeon and Anna had prophesied over him, it must have flashed back to, to them that the Magi had come, the wise men from the east, and put gifts, jewels, incense at his feet. You know, Jesus, we know, fully God, fully human, but back then he didn't, he didn't come out as Superman. His, his divine side emerged. He grew into it. He, there was an unfolding of his identity. And when he figured out more about who he was and who he was to be, often there's a conflict between God's will and family plans. And he's 12, and so he goes home with his parents. 18 more years when he's 30. When mom says what to do, he won't do it anymore. He's in his vocation time of ministry. His brothers and sisters will tell him what they want him to do, and he'll say, I'm doing my father's will. But now he goes home, and his mother treasures these things in her heart. And then there's a postscript. I think it's paired together with this treasuring that it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom. The Greek is book smart and street smart. Stature, physically, he grew up into a man. And then divine and human favor. In other words, Jesus grew intellectually, physically, spiritually, and relationally. We talk about both of those, that he, he grew, he changed but let me start with Mary treasured these things in her heart. We were in Springfield, Missouri. Kids must have been late, elementary, maybe beginning, junior high. I was the executive pastor at that church. And on a Friday night, we took the kids from the youth group, the younger youth group, out to do some roller skating. And 
I had skated growing up, but kids hadn't done a whole lot, so I, I took Kristen, our younger one, around by the hand. Uh, Matt, I, I went backwards as he went forward. I went around about 70 times, and that was enough. And so I, I sat down where they had some food and got a hot dog, got a Coke, and then I, I watched them go around in the same way over and over and over again. I was the representative from the church and from the family that night. And as Matt went by, he'd go, hey, Dad, watch this, and he'd do something. Kristen would go by and she'd say, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, 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 Dad. Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. It's great. It's fabulous. Kids from the youth group would go by, Pastor Alf, Pastor Alf, Pastor Alf, did you see this? I saw it. It's amazing. It's fabulous. Then kids, not part of the youth group, started going by, hey, you, Mr., did you see it? I go, that was fabulous. But it hits me that all of us need to know that people are watching us, not just to criticize us or to point out what's wrong, but to notice our gifts, to call things out of us, to celebrate us. We need to know we're treasured. There's a man named Roger Nishioka, who is a professor at Columbia Seminary in Georgia, and then now he's a pastor in Kansas City, Kansas. He did some work uh, with the Lilly Foundation over the resiliency in children, youth. And children are, are resilient to the extent that they have non-exploitive adults that treasure them. That's the simple result of the research. But what they did was they asked young people to imagine the worst thing that they could possibly do in their life. Do you have it? Yep. Now write down adults, as many as you can think of, who if you told them that, even if they were mad, they would still love you. That they'd have your back. That they would treasure you. And the key statistic is there's got to be at least four adults, not exploitive adults, that treasure you. If there's less than four adults that treasure you, the frightening fact, the alarming result is that a good number of those that have less end up dead or in prison before they're 21. We've got to be treasured. And if you're here and don't know that you're a child of God, this is the place to learn it. If you're here and don't know that there's 99 sheep in the fold and God through Christ will go out and search for you, the one lost sheep, that's how much you're treasured. That if there's 10 coins and they're valuable and nine of them are safe, but the one is lost, God will lose. Go for the one which is you that's lost until he finds it. And when he finds you, there's a party for you. That's how much you're treasured. And that MDPC is one among many churches that this is a place where you can learn that you're treasured. And once you know you're treasured, if you're a teacher, or you're a parent, or you're a grandparent, or if you're just a, a member or friend of this church, who can you find in this congregation that's younger than you, older than you, your peer, who you can treasure? 
that you can notice gifts in them, call them forth in them, help people remove their masks, help them know how to be forgiven and, and to forgive and to grow in their, in their faith and then use their God-given gifts for God's glory. But the way Luke sets up this story, once we know we're treasured, it's much easier than to grow. He increased in wisdom and in stature and in divine and human favor. Are you growing? When's the last time you took a leap in your faith? Not to earn God's favor. It's already there because of your treasuring. But to live out the life of faith and to be a part and partner with the king for kingdom purposes. Are you growing? If you're a tree, when's the last time you noticed another ring being added to the rings on your trunk? How do we grow? What kind of person do you want to be by Christmas? What kind of person do you want to be by next summer? Think of it this way. You're becoming the person that you're going to become because of the habits or lack of habits that you have in your life right now. Have you ever said, I'd like to do that now, but I'm too busy. But when this really busy season is over, then I'm going to have the time to add this incredible, important discipline like regular worship or being part of one of the Sunday school classes or the small groups that's going to be studying Romans this year. Or maybe you're newer to the faith or haven't quite sorted all out the faith and Alpha would be the place for you. When I'm done with this tough time, then I'll add it. Boy, in my life, those less stressful, less tough times rarely come. And if they come at all, you're tired and want a break. You just want to rest. The truth is they don't come. And what makes you think that down the road you'll add something that you're not willing to add now. What makes you think that? Habits you have right now are making you into the person that you're going to be in Christmas and in next summer. Are you on a good trajectory? Do you have the right habits in place? Are they going to produce the fruit that you want when you're at your best? If not, this is the time to put those in place in an environment when people treasure you and there's unconditional love. It's much more fun to go down the rapids of the Colorado in a group than just by yourself, unless you're trying to prove something just to yourself once. Much better to study the Bible and pray with others than always by yourself. I think that's why today Snapchat and Instagram and selfies are so prominent. We're trying to do things and let other people know we're doing them and hope people will like us, acknowledge us. 
Harry Emerson Fosdick, who was a pastor at Riverside Church in New York City a generation ago, wrote this about habits. He said, no steam or gas drives anything until it's confined. And no life ever grows great until it's focused, dedicated, and disciplined. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, do you know what that means? A disciple is someone under the discipline of the master, is an apprentice to the one. So it's a person, male or female, young or old, who takes on disciplines, habits, that help you to become more Christ-like so you can be a servant of God in in a God-so-loved world. Do you have the right habits in place? Sherry and I, when the kids were younger, watched all the Harry Potter movies. Still, when they come on, it'll be on TBS or TNT, and Sherry will go, it's Harry Potter weekend. And I, I like watching some of them, but all weekend, I mean... And Sherry's favorite is the Chamber of Secrets. Harry is still pretty young. He's fought Voldemort, who's in the form of Tom Riddle at this time, and he he wins, but he realizes that he has abilities and gifts kind of like Voldemort. And he appears before uh, Dumbledore, his professor, the head of the school, who treasures him, and he treasures Dumbledore. And He said, when the sorting hat came through, it recommended that I go into Slytherin, which is where Voldemort went from him. Am I really more like him? What should I do? And he's asking all these questions, and Dumbledore gives him profound advice. It is not our abilities that show who we truly are, but our choices. Mary and Joseph, every year, chose to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. That meant they couldn't do other things if they chose that. They didn't have money to do other things. They chose that. Jesus chose when he was 12 to be bar mitzvahed. He chose to stay and sit at the feet of the teachers to ask them questions, to provide answers. Mary and Joseph chose to rush back to Jerusalem and Search for their son. Treasure their son. What are your choices as you start this fall? Not to earn God's salvation. You're loved. You're treasured. But to grow in faithfulness. To be all in. Jesus increased intellectually, physically, spiritually, relationally. How about you? And if not now, I know you're busy. When? Amen. Let's pray. God, we're kicking off a year We're going to get at it a few different ways by looking at people that we're all in. Paul reminds us that once we were children, then we choose to become adults. That Jesus didn't start as a fully formed Savior of the world. He grew into it. And we haven't arrived either. And there are habits we have in place right now that are not advancing us in the kingdom. And there are other habits, other disciplines that we could take on 
that would produce joy and fruit and life and it more abundantly. Give us the courage to step out in faith and to become who you've called us to be. Amen.